A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Shares for beginners. Phil Muscatello and FinPods are authorized reps of Money Sherpa. The information in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal situation. A lot of them started off in the microcaps or definitely in the small cap end. They didn't suddenly IPO and, you know, at the next rebalance, drop straight into the ASX 200. You know, they weren't that mature businesses at the time that they came to the stock market. And I mean, that is part of the function of the stock market is to provide growth capital to companies who want to grow. And one of the ways of doing that is doing an IPO and getting listed. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello and I also host another occasional podcast series called Talking Companies with Mark Tobin from Coffee Microcaps. G'day Mark. G'day Phil. We talk with uh, CEOs from some of the undiscovered gems at the smaller end of the ASX. And Mark's work began as an equity analyst in Sydney. I mean, Mark's been on, you've been on a few times. This Maybe it's the fifth or sixth time. But if you people haven't heard of him, he's had quite the background in the small cap sector, including at Wilson's Asset Management. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Been a while since I worked at Wilson's. But yeah, I um, was at Wilson's with Jeff and all the team there for a couple of years. And then back in 2018, started Coffee Microcap. So been in and around the, the microcap end specifically. And there's no real hard and fast definition of what a microcap is in Australia. Some people might refer to it as small caps in general. But yeah, down the very kind of bottom end of the ASX for the last, let's say, five years. So tell us about Coffee Microcaps. Just give us a reminder about what Coffee Microcaps is and where people can see it. It's mainly on YouTube, isn't it? That's one of the main places where people can catch up with your look at small companies. Yeah, so as I said, Coffee Microcaps, I started in 2018 mainly out of a bit of frustration for myself that there wasn't really a microcap conference happening in Sydney at the time. There's been one that's been going in Melbourne for many, many years, happens around October, but there wasn't really anything in Sydney. And I was like, well, I'm going to start my own conference. So we did our first conference in Sydney in March, 2019. And then I guess in the early days, we were just doing kind of conferences every six months after reporting season. So we do one March, April, depending on school holidays and Easter after companies report now in February. And then we do another one, Again, probably in October, kind of after full year results were done and annual reports are out and but before kind of AGMs and that kick off in in November. And then obviously we had the pandemic and in the pandemic then obviously we weren't doing in-person events. So we started doing online events, smaller than the conferences. So, you know, the conference, if we do the full day one in Sydney, we have 12, 13 companies presenting. It was more... An hour, we'll get two companies in and we'll kind of do them on a weekly or every two weeks. And that's just kind of continued since the, the, the pandemic has ended. So we had an event online last week with four companies presenting. We've got another event actually happening online, I think, Wednesday week. And they just kind of happen, I would say, maybe we do two or three in a month. Um, just depends on company schedules, where we are in terms of like reporting season. 
Obviously, down the microcap end, we have a lot of companies that report quarterly through their Appendix 4C reports. Um, so we generally have a bulk of events that happen around those. And yeah, with the easing of the restrictions from the pandemic, we got back on the, the old horse of the in-person events. And we did our first in-person event in Melbourne and was it April 23. And I'm glad to say we're going to be back in Melbourne now in March 24 for our second edition in Melbourne. And we've got our big shindig, if you want to say, up in Sydney, which is, I'll say, our main event, only because it's been kind of running the longest, which is also happening in March. So, yeah, we tended, uh, my definition of a microcap, or the companies you're going to typically find presenting either online or in-person at our events are capped under 300 million in revenue, approaching cash flow break even, or indeed are already profitable. And, and indeed, in some cases, some of them are dividend paying. So when you say in revenue, that generally rules out a lot of the junior miners, junior resources sector, and a lot of the biotechnology, medical kind of startup companies. But I mean, there's plenty of opportunities for them, I think, to present to other events. And I don't think they have any trouble getting their story out there with some of the other providers in the market. So we tend to focus on what I call industrial microcaps but you know that spans everything sorry from technology to retail to professional services businesses a whole plethora of other kind of industry sectors that just generally doesn't include resources and biotech if, if we want to talk in broad terms yep and also media and research houses as well yeah, exactly. You know, we had a Mo show, actually. I think you knew some of the team from there, from back in a former life in radio, um, presented at our last conference, who are in that kind of media advertising space, would be one. But then on the other side, you know, completely different business. We had um, John Laurenti from Big River Industries. They're supplying high-end kind of timber and supplies into the construction industry. So, you know, it's a really wide mix of companies that do present a, a coffee microcaps. I try and get as many sectors represented in there as possible and various different market caps, you know, most will be much smaller business, for example, market cap wise than say like big river so you know i also try and span that when i say 300 million we you know we go right down to companies that are capped at 10 million and kind of everything in between so that there's a you know a good variety on the day for the in-person events and we also try and translate that across when we're doing online events you know we generally won't have four technology companies presenting or we won't have four businesses linked to say like Big River that are some way connected to the construction industry. Um, if we do something like that, it'll be kind of advertised as a specialist microcap technology or microcap healthcare or something like that. But generally, we try and mix up the market caps and mix up the sectors. Do you ever take into consideration the balance sheet of the companies that are presenting? Do you like them to show a bit of cash on the books? It's a bit hard to have cash on the books down the this end of the market. Uh, you know, a lot of them are in the... Although some, some do, some do. No, or 100%. I mean, Big River is a classic example of that where, you know... That's right, yeah. It, it, it's down the small end of the market, but it, you know, pays a dividend. Um, you know, it's a well, well-established reason. I think it's been... I think John said it at the last presentation, remember correctly, they've been going for over 100 years as a business. Mightn't be listed for that long, but as a business itself, it's been going for over 100 years. You know, another example... People People probably familiar had been listed for a very long time is Reckon, kind of accounting software provider guys. You know, they're going to be presenting 
at our upcoming conference in March. They've done a few of our online events. And, you know, again, revenue, cash on the books, pays a dividend. Those Appendix 4C companies, you know, the reason that they're kind of having to do Appendix 4Cs every quarterly, every yeah quarter is the fact that they're still getting to that cash or break even point and you know the ASX is requiring them to report so you'll generally see you know they've kind of a cash outflow every quarter hopefully getting smaller and you know that is kind of pulling down on the the cash balance that they have on the balance sheet so i mean it is something I keep an eye on and, you know, again, try and get the mix of those businesses where you have the reckons of the world, the big river industries, um, what's in our quantum IP, you know, well-established businesses, cash on the balance sheet paying dividends versus the Appendix 4C reporting companies who are just in a different stage of their business. You know, they're just not as established. They're trying to grow. They're trying to get to where some of these other ones are. And, and you know, you just don't really find that at the at the ASX kind of 200 level. You know, those are big, well-established business. Generally, they're all kind of making money, might not be paying a dividend, but you won't really find ASX 200 company that's Appendix 4C reporting. This doesn't really happen. And just to explain, an Appendix 4C is certain size companies because of the nature of their stage of development. They have to report every um, Well, the Appendix 4C is, is not so much to do with the size. It's more to do with the fact that they're kind of not making a profit or haven't kind of made a profit oh, okay. historically. Yep. So if they're still in that kind of growth phase, ramp up phase, the kind of ASX says, okay, well, you need to keep us a bit more or keep your investors in the market a bit more updated. So you'll find it's not really size related, but it just kind of does correlate with you know the bigger the company is they've obviously kind of been more successful the market cap's gone up the revenue's gone up and eventually the profits come true mightn't be continuous profits you know they can flip between periods of profits and losses but you know generally they're more profitable than that and then that appendix 4c uh, requirement get relief from it from the asx markets committee and it just kind of drops away and then they get into i think what most people would be familiar with of the normal six monthly reporting cycle where you generally get the half year results in February and then we roll over into August and we get the full year results with most companies on the ASX. I mean, there are a few exceptions here and there to have a December year end, but most companies on the ASX are a June 30 year end. Then you get the kind of final results then in August. I will say the, the other major outliers to that kind of reporting schedule are all the New Zealand companies, of which there are kind of quite a few. That are, are listed on the ASX these days. Um, I think it's been a bit of a growth area for the ASX to get more due listings from across the Tasman. But, you know, I think that the New Zealand companies, March 31st, I think is their year end company wise and tax wise. So you'll see a lot of them reporting their full year results in May. So how's the sector been performing over the last year? Because, you know, we've seen quite an uptick in, you know, the, the markets in the States and here in Australia as well. But how has this sector been performing? Yeah, we're still lagging. We're still lagging the big end of town. And I think it's a little bit of this end of the market. If anybody wants to cast their mind back to the pandemic, you know, I had a big run through kind of 2021 and the early stages of 2022, where we were, you know, really outperforming the large caps. But that has now changed around where, you know, large caps have been in a good space over the last 18 months, even two years. So we've definitely lagged and there's been a, 
you know, a bit of a bear market in the small and micro cap end. I see a lot of commentators and fund managers on other platforms kind of calling out, you know, the relative difference, the valuation differences, and that, you know, 2024, a lot of people are looking for that gap to close and for, you know, kind of 2024 to be a year for the kind of micro cap and small cap end of the market. Um, it's early days. We'll have to see. We'll total up the final score at the end of December. But um, what I will say for what I've seen so far, you know, there are definitely some green shoots. You know, there's definitely a little bit more interest coming back into it. I think just even from a pure valuation perspective, as you say, you know, the large caps have, have run up. You know, PEs are starting to look, uh, I won't say expensive, but compared to maybe something you can find in the small and micro cap end, there's probably a bit more value down our end of the ASX currently than maybe the top end. Mm. Do you have any favorite stories, case studies of companies that started out as a micro cap who ended up in the ASX 200, for example? Oh, there's so many. It's, uh, well, we, we, let's take the biggest one of all. You know, when CSL listed, it was a micro cap. And I mean, it's right up there in the ASX top 20 these days. I mean, sometimes it's number one. I mean, when that was spun out of public ownership, is a bit like Telstra, you know, was a government entity that was privatized um, back in the Commonwealth Bank well, yeah. of privatization, I guess, in the 90s, you know, was capped under 300 billion. And if you use that as some kind of benchmark as a micro cap or a, definitely a small cap, I mean, when it listed, it, that, that's what it was. One that probably more recent example of that was Afterpay. Also a micro cap. I think it was capped at less than a hundred million when it, you know, first hit the hit the boards, all the way through to its eventual takeover by Square. Another one, the space that I remember well has done quite well since is corporate travel management and Jamie Ferris. You know, I remember that IPO happening. I was still working at Wilson's at the time and met Jamie as part of the IPO roadshow and, you know, really like the business, really like Jamie and the team there. And that was another one where started off as a microcap and these days is multiples of what it was on the day it listed. So you can go through a lot of names that are in that ASX 200 that if you sometimes a bit like CSL, you got to go back far enough, but you, you'll find a, a lot of them started off in the micro caps or definitely in the small cap end. They didn't suddenly IPO and, you know, at the next rebalance, it dropped straight into the ASX 200. You know, they weren't that mature businesses at the time that they came to the stock market. And I mean, that is part of the function of the stock market is to provide growth capital to companies who want to grow. And one of the ways of doing that is doing an IPO and getting listed. These days, you know, and I think compared to maybe when CSL, definitely when CSL first started out as a listed business, you know, private equity and venture capital, you know, those markets weren't as well developed as they are now. So maybe, you know, that really wasn't a consideration or an option for a lot of companies. Whereas today, you know, it, it is definitely on the smorgasbord of capital options for companies who are looking to grow. But that is still one of the key functions of the ASX is, you know, is the venue to raise capital for growth companies. And a lot of microcaps are in that growth phase of their business. So that's why we have so many, I guess, microcaps in the ASX. I mean, if you look at the ASX got over 2,000 companies listed there. I think the last time I looked, I think 1,500 of them had a market cap under 300 million. 
Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Are you confused about how to invest? LifeSherpa can ease the burden of having to decide for yourself. Head to lifesherpa.com.au to find out more. LifeSherpa, Australia's most affordable online financial advice. And of course, not everyone can be a winner either. It's something where you really do have to manage your risk when you're investing in this end. No, exactly. And I think the risk is higher for sure because the business models are still in that like growth phase and they're still trying to entrench themselves as a market leader or the dominant player in this market. And they're also probably taking a bit more risks of launching new products, branching into new markets trying to move internationally, which, you know, we've seen a fair few Australian companies get burned on the international expansion front, big and small, you know, it's not exclusively to microcaps, but, you know, when you're building that business, it's day in, day out taking maybe bigger risks than, you know, say somebody like a CSL where, you know, you've got a very established product lineup, very well established market, you're like in CSL's case, a global leader in what they do. So when they're talking about, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to do that, I would say the risk level is lower than, you know, some of the decisions that the microcap companies are making. And that's just the, the nature of the market, just where CSL is compared to where these other companies are. There's no kind of right or wrong in it. And I guess it goes back to capital markets theory. You know, there has to be risk reward. Do I think CSL is going to have the same return from the 1990s to now over the next 30 years versus a company that's a microcap now to where it might be in 30 years. No, I don't. I think, you know, CSL probably is more in that kind of steady state phase, you know, chipping along nicely, but, you know, something down the microcap end, you know, that's going to turn into a CSL, you know, that's going to be a huge multiplier over time. But you got to do your due diligence. As you always say, Phil, you know, you got to do the work, do the research, speak to your financial advisors, speak to your brokers, because it is more riskier down this end of the market. It's not a bug. It's a feature of the market. <laughs> yeah, we've always heard that one from uh, Andrew Page. I think he's, he's one uh, yeah, of the I was trying to think who, who says it a lot. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, Andrew <laughs> Page right. uh, from Strawman, uh, you know, I think his platform, his community is a great offering and was actually badly needed in the market before Andrew started it. And a lot of very smart people cover a lot of the microcap end stocks there where a bit like me, you know, I'm trying to give a, a coffee microcaps a platform to connect investors and for companies to get their stories out there. And, you know, and Andrew's thing, you know, they kind of do a bit more of the deep dive and a bit more of the research and share it around. And you can kind of benefit from that kind of community of knowledge and you know, you've done a bit of work, but uh, I can't see like what 
Bell Potter don't cover the stock or, you know, Shaw's don't cover the stock probably because it's too small for them. So it's hard to kind of bounce your ideas and test it against, you know, kind of what somebody else thinks where I think the straw man community, especially for micro cap and small cap stocks, you know, provides a valuable resource for people to, you know, get more information and get other insights from other investors about, you know, what they think about a particular company. And this end of the market, tends to be quite Darwinian, isn't it? It's, you know, it's very much a win or lose area and you either survive or you don't survive. And it's a place for experimentation, I guess, you know, to take that evolutionary analogy a bit further. You know, a species is trying different things to adapt to an environment. And in the case of the small cap, they might be, you know, using AI, for example, or deploying some sort of new piece of technology that a larger company is not flexible enough or nimble enough to do so. I don't know. I don't know if there's a question there, but it's kind of an observation. Do you feel that way at all about this end? Yeah, I think you're right. And you talk about the large companies not being nimble enough. One of the reasons you don't see these microcaps sometimes get into the ASX 200 is they get gobbled up by either other listed players or other large industry players because they've got a solution, a product, a service, or have cracked a particular market that, you know, will fit very nicely into a kind of a bigger enterprise. So, you know, you kind of start building it up and then, you know, it just gets absorbed into something else and you go like, oh, do you remember that business? Yeah, no, they got taken over by whoever it might be and they just kind of disappear from the boards. But you do at the other end, you know, you do have companies who... As much as they've tried, you know, it just hasn't worked. And again, you know, you just do see more of that with the stage of the business and the life cycle for microcaps at the bottom end. Then, you know, it's not, I would say, totally unheard of for an ASX 200 company to, you know, enter administration. But if you're looking at a, a spectrum of these over, you know, a five-year period and their, their market cap at the time, you know, the announcement came out that they're, you know, entering administration. You will find definitely more of them at the micro cap end than you will at the ASX 200. And it, again, it, as Andrew says, you know, it's a feature, not a bug of the system. You just have to kind of recognize where you're investing at this end of the market and, you know, where those companies are at. And it's not for everybody, but to me, it's a very interesting part of the market. You get some really interesting businesses doing some really interesting stuff. And it's very, I find, intellectually stimulating. And if you've got a bit of a natural curiosity, you know, there's so many businesses to look at that change all the time with, you know, new IPOs and kind of even spin outs from ASX 200 companies where once it was a division, now it's its own like little business down our end and, and you get kind of a deeper understanding of it. So from that perspective, you know, it does offer an interesting challenge, I think, for investors and can be a very rewarding one. So tell us about some of the companies that are attending in March, especially the Sydney event. They're coming from far and wide, aren't they? Yeah, we've generally do have a few companies come interstate. This time we've got cash converters. I think people would know them. It's been listed for a good while and obviously you'll see their shops all over the country. So they're actually based in part, but they're coming to present in Melbourne and Sydney. And then we've got Avada Group, which are based up in Brisbane. And if you do a lot of the 
If you see any roadworks happening or big construction projects, those people who are doing traffic control, um, they do quite a provide that service to quite a lot of companies and subcontractors, and they are coming down from Brisbane to present in Melbourne. They unfortunately can't join us in Sydney, and then we have Rocket DNA who are coming across from Adelaide. They're also going to be doubling up a bit like cash converters. They're going to be doing Melbourne and Sydney. So those guys do drones for the mining industry predominantly. So running drones across mine sites for safety, for planning, for mine expansion work. Um, Quite interesting business. And you talk about drones, they use AI then for the processing of all the images. So if you're looking for a business, I think that's kind of definitely on the edge of drones, AI, that kind of stuff in the market today. Rocket DNA is one. And then you've got a business on the other side, like Cash Converters, which you know has been around for a long time, very established business, but has got some you know interesting kind of growth avenues that they're pursuing, um, but totally different space. You can probably more call it financial services than retail these days. We'll get back to the show right after this brief message. Why am I buying, holding, or selling a share? If you can't answer that basic question, then you don't have a plan. The best investors are ruthless in executing their plans. I've been fortunate to meet many great investors on the podcast. Tony Kynaston is one of the best. He has a clear and systematic approach to investing that is honest, sensible, and methodical. It's called QAV, Quality at Value. QAV now offer an excellent light plan for only $29 per month. You can follow their buy and sell recommendations and learn the ropes. And the first month is free using the promo code SFBLIGHT. Go to qavpodcast.com.au to sign up. That's qavpodcast.com.au using the promo code SFBLIGHT. Past performance is not a guarantee of future returns. Please read the QAV FSG and consult a financial professional before investing. I receive a small commission for services I recommend and I only recommend services I use myself. It's interesting, the previous episode of Shares for Beginners, we had Chris Clark from Rocket DNA on talking about it, and um, it's a great episode and hearing about how they've deployed it. And they're not just a drone company. It's not just about getting the drones up in the air. It's about the regulatory approval to do it. They actually use a lot of real pilots to fly the drones. And as you say, the artificial intelligence, the way that that's being deployed, because they've got such an enormous amount of data. Again, a lot of these companies are becoming more data companies. No matter where they are, it's all about the data. That's where the real gold is, isn't it? No, exactly. And I mean, yeah, Chris definitely gives a good overview of the business. And you're right, you know, when people kind of think of, oh, yeah, now they're flying drones, as I just said there, you know, they think it's, you know, some like guy who like, you know, bought one from (laughs) from JB Hyper or somewhere (laughs) online. And, you know, they're just kind of using that, you know, the stuff that Rocket DNA have, it's proper professional kit that is licensed by the aviation authority and the pilots have to go through specific training and, and licensing as well. This is real serious stuff. This is not any kind of amateur you can kind of get anybody in to do it if you give them a quick half an hour lesson it's much 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 more advanced than that and i think that's maybe one of the things that kind of people underestimate about rocket dna is that you know what they are doing is a very very specialist service and you know there's not many people who have tick the boxes from a regulatory and a compliance and licensing point of view in the australian space where they operate And, you know, I think that's one of the kind of 
key messages that Chris and the team at Rocket DNA are trying to get across that it's a growing industry and, you know, they're, I guess, for a lot of these big mining companies, you know, safety, compliance, all of that is a huge, huge part of mining today, modern mining, and they are able to tick the boxes for a lot of those big customers. Mm. Yeah, again, it's interesting because you referred to Big River Industries previously as well, and they've been around for a hundred years. You're not necessarily have to be a new company to be in this end of the market. And they've proven themselves over a long period of time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Big River, I think is, you know, it's a classic case. It was a family run business for a long, long time. And then it eventually came to market. But, you know, maybe being that family run business for a long time, it was the slow and steady approach. You know, their headquarters is in Grafton up in the Northern Rivers in New South Wales. So, you know, you're slowly expanding from there and, you know, the bought a little competitor business or set up a little outlet store or whatever, you know, maybe a bit further down the coast or heading up north closer towards Brisbane and, you know, funding it themselves through their own kind of internal family capital and profits. And, you know, over a hundred years, it has expanded to be an ASX listed company now. But at the same time, we're still not talking if I take, and they're probably not a good competitor to compare somebody like Big River to, but it's a name that people will know. Compare that to a James Hardy, which is kind of a well-established ASX 200 name. And then you get Big River that's been around for, as you say, 100 years, but you know, still got a market cap. I think it's around 160, 170 million. So it's definitely not a small business, but it's by no means something as big as the James Hardys of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And interestingly, with Big River as well, one of their larger shareholders is an LIC, I believe. It's uh, NAOS and quite a big chunk of them, don't they? Yeah, I think the NAOS guys, I think will be there, Sebastian Evans and Rob Miller. Yeah, Sebastian yeah, Evans. I mean, that, who, would, um, that yeah. would fit into, I, from what I know, the NAOS guys and their strategy. You know, they do like a lot of the companies that kind of do present the coffee microcaps, you know, they do like ones with let's say, a more proven business model, revenue, profit generating, but at the same time, look good value to them um, based on what the kind of future prospects are. And in Big River, if we go back, I mean, John Laurenti is, I'll say, relatively new CEO. I think he's been there about two years now. And, you know, John's trying to expand the business, you know, mergers and acquisitions is going to be part of that, bringing on new products, opening in new locations where they think there's a gap in the market for their offering. So, you know, all of those bits and pieces, you know, still shows you even after a hundred years that there's still growth ahead of this company and growth from a few different angles. So I think that's also something to kind of bear in mind with these companies that, you know, they seem that they've been around for a while or they've been listed for a long time. But a lot of times they're coming out of family ownership structure that has evolved over 40 or 50 years. And now is the time that, you know, the next generation don't want to take over or the next generation are taking over, but, you know, they really want to kind of kick on and take the business to the next level and going through an IPO process and raising some extra capital to accelerate their growth is one of the options open to them. So in Sydney, Coffee Microcaps Conference is in March. What's the date in March? So Melbourne is the 12th of March, and then mm-hmm. which is the Tuesday of that week. And then 14th of March, Valentine's Day, the Thursday of that week. And in, in the Sydney, end of that Sydney week, it's at the um, State Library, isn't it? 
they're both at the State Library. So in Melbourne, we utilize the State Library of Victoria, the Wheeler Center within there. And then in Sydney, we've always been at the Metcalf Auditorium, which is at the back of the State Library in New South Wales, just off Macquarie Street by the domain. Yeah, it's a very kind of central location, as is the State Library of Victoria down in Melbourne. So is there a discount code for listeners of the podcast? Of course, I wouldn't let your listeners. Uh, <laughs> I forgot to go ask. There, I've got go, it on the script here, and I thought, hang on, I better check. <laughs> so, for <laughs> listeners of the podcast, no. So, tickets are forty dollars for both events, and that includes GST booking fee. So, it's around forty dollar number, and twenty five percent off for listeners and friends of the podcast. And the code for Melbourne is Charlie. Mike, Mike, Echo, Lima, Brava. So it's like CM Melb, I guess, short for Melbourne. And then Coffee Sydney Michael is. Melb. Yeah. Yeah. Then Sydney then is CMSYD. So Charlie, Mike, Sierra, Yankee, Delta. Yep. Well, that's great. I can really highly recommend these conferences. So please come along if you've got some time. They're great fun and it's really good to see a showcase and a beauty contest of some of these companies that you would otherwise never hear about. Mark Tobin, thanks very much for coming and joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Phil. And yeah, hopefully we'll get to see some of the listeners. And that's one of the other things I think I really enjoy about the conferences. Is, you know, you speak to so many people. I say speak now engage with them on Twitter or X or some of these other mm. platforms like Strawman, for example, we mentioned earlier. And, you know, you never kind of get to really meet them in person. And I've met so many microcap investors from around Australia at these events. And it's really great to put face to the name. And we do networking drinks after events in Sydney. All was very well attended, very well supported. And, you know, it's just great to catch up and chat about stocks that either presented in the day or you kind of know from interactions between the two of you in the online virtual space of you both hold and you can kind of chit chat about common stocks of interest. And it kind of builds up a bit of a community and a bit more of a relationship between the kind of microcap investors, which is one of the goals I had at the start as well was to try and get a bit of a community going and, and have a forum for microcap investors specifically to kind of come together because yeah it was kind of very disparate and as i said there was no event happening in sydney so there wasn't really anywhere to kind of meet these group of fellow investors and like-minded investors other than if both of you happen to turn up at a at an agm to one of the companies you are both invested in but that's very company specific so i thought you know with the conference you'll get a much wider network of people and hopefully we've created that. I hope we've done something in that regard over the last five years anyway. Fantastic. Okay, Mark, see you at the conference. Cheers, Phil. Looking forward to catching up in person again. Thanks for listening to Shares for Beginners. You can find more at sharesforbeginners.com. If you enjoy listening, please take a moment to rate or review in your podcast player or tell a friend who might want to learn more about investing for their future. 